What I'd like to do today is pick right up from where Jeff left off last week um, in Matthew. He actually, we, end, we ended up closing, um, we ended up doing the last verse of the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount we've been going through now since January, so it's been quite a long time, but we are coming to the end of it. Um, Jeff went through the last passage of that, and I want to look at that passage again as really the launching point as to what we're going to look at and talk about today. So if you want to, in your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at the very last passage of, or the very last um, section of chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Matthew 7. We're going to look at uh, verses 24 through 27. And this is what Jesus says as he closes off all the things we've been going through, all the things he's been telling us, all the things he's been telling us about how to live an abundant life. And this is what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. We have a choice there. Which one do we want to do? Do we want to build our house on the rock? Then no matter what storm comes along, we will be able to sustain in it? Or do we want to build on the sand? I think we all know and would all make that choice to build it on the rock. It's very simple, because Jesus says to build on the rock, all you have to do is hear his words he's been telling us and do them. As, G, as Jeff said last week, Jeff said, um, just sort of sum it all up, you said about these words of Jesus that we've been going through, don't just hear it, obey it, do it. It's that simple. But we don't so much of the time, do we? Why is it that these words that we hear to just do it and obey it once we hear it, we don't? I mean, just let me give you some examples of just what we've gone through in the Sermon on the Mount. And ask yourself, do you do this? Do you do what Jesus says when you hear it? Jesus says in Matthew 7, 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. The golden rule. Do we practice that with everyone that we meet? This is a tough one. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you should not be judged. Do we judge others? Um, this is one of my favorite ones. Uh, Matthew 6. 25. Very simple. Just let's obey this. We hear it. Jesus speaks it. Let's just do it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. No more anxiety. Gone. All right. Do we do that? 
And then finally, uh, Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies. Love those who you do not like. Love those who you hate. Love those who get under your skin. And pray for those who who persecute you. Do we do that? I know I don't. (laughs) So much of the time. But Jesus says you're hearing it. Why are you not obeying it? What's interesting, also picking up on something Jeff Jeff did this week, is if you get his notes to a pastor, and I hope you do, um, either through email or you get on our church app, um, and it's, it, I love it. Every week he's sending out this letter to us, all reminding us of these words of Jesus, reminding us of how to live in this world during the week. And what he talked about, I love how he started out this week. He talked about a survey, and he said, here's a percent. And he says, do we believe it? No, <laughs> we don't. And we have all these different surveys that come out. But some surveys are very helpful in trying to understand what is going on in the world. It gives us a little snapshot of it. Well, there's a survey that just recently came out. This survey was done in February 2021, so it wasn't done too long ago. It's one of the first of its kind. It's a fascinating survey, particularly as it revolves around our faith, around us as Christians. It was done by the American Worldwide Inventory. It's the first ever survey conducted in the United States, and its attempt was to measure across the entire United States both biblical and competing worldviews. Now, what's fascinating about the survey is of all the American adult males, uh, not males, but adults on all of America, all adults in America, 69% of Americans said they hold to the identity of being a Christian. If you asked them, they would say they were a Christian. It's pretty high, 69%. But then that's across all different you know, denominations across everything of someone saying we're a Christian. But then when you get down to saying, what about those who call themselves born again or evangelical Christians? And let me just say, if we had to categorize ourselves, which I don't like to do, I mean, that's what we sort of fall into, into that group of what you would call sort of evangelical Christians. Of all those in America, the ones who claim to be evangelical Christians, holding to the Bible, holding to the faith of Jesus, holding to that salvation found in Jesus. Of those, there's about 28 to 30 percent of Americans who claim that. Now, I want you to take that group. I want you to take that 30 percent, again, which I would say most of us would fall under. I want you to take that group, and here is some one, just one statistic of this group, of us, of what came out when they did this survey. And this is what it said. 54% of us, I'll use the word us here, accepted feelings, experience, the input of family and friends, social media, as their most trusted source of moral guidance. That's us. Half of us are taking what the world says, what our friends say, what our feelings say, and using that as our moral guidance. That might give us some insight into why we hear Jesus, but we don't do it. All right. They came up with the statistic on doing the survey that only 6% of all Americans, 
hold to a biblical worldview, and this is how they defined it, a biblical worldview that they, where we as Christians can demonstrate an ability to assimilate our beliefs into our lifestyle. This group comes closest to reflecting biblical principles into their opinions, beliefs, behaviors, and preferences. 6%. Now, what I'm happy to let all of you know is we're part of that 6%, aren't we? <laughs> okay? The 6% who, when they hear Jesus say, let's hear it, let's do it, we know the Bible, we know the biblical worldview, but only 6% of America, when 69% claim to be Christian, only 6% can actually say we're really, truly striving, and we fall short, of living by the word of God. You know, when I think of the excuses I hear or the excuses I give to myself as to why are we not doing what Jesus said, I can come up with a lot of excuses. We probably use these excuses sometimes. You know, excuses like, well, there's a lot of sin in the world and we still have sin in the world, so of course we're all going to sin every once in a while. Or maybe my faith isn't strong enough. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of different reasons. Um, I'm not perfect, I've heard people say. All right, this world we live in is corrupt. Of course we're going to sin. Of course we can't do what Jesus said. But can I just tell you right now, really bluntly, we are without excuse. We are without excuse because Jesus has given us, God has given us everything we need to not just hear, but to obey the word of God. Our, the, God's son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to give us forgiveness from sins to cleanse us of all the stuff that we've done. Full forgiveness forever. He's given us eternal life. He's given us his Holy Spirit, his very presence that lives in us. That Holy Spirit is the same presence that gave the power to raise Jesus from the dead. He gave us his word that tells us how to live. We are without excuse. Why don't we hear it and obey it? That's what I want to look at today. I want to look at the answer to that question as to why, when we hear it, we don't obey it. And let me tell you right now, the reason why, okay, as we're going to look at today, is because of all these gifts we've been given, the gift of Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross, the gift of the Spirit, the gift of the Word of God, there is another gift that He's given us. And a lot of you may not even be aware of that gift. And that is the gift that allows us to bridge between hearing the word of God and doing the word of God. That is the gift that I want us to look at today. And now when you think of gifts, you know, can you believe that already it's just a couple months to Christmas? When you think of gifts, first thing that comes to my mind, holidays, gifts. Okay, everyone's out there buying gifts. Everyone's looking to get gifts. One thing that was really like we are um, just going, pretty soon we're going to celebrate Christmas and then the next day we're going to already start celebrating Christmas again <laughs> because we celebrated my wife's birthday at the end of September and I remember Debbie back there, um, she, she came to the um, surprise birthday party for my wife and she was at the mall where we're going to surprise my wife and already within the mall at the end of September Christmas decorations are up, <laughs> all right? We're getting started earlier and earlier. And I guess in some ways, maybe that's good this year, because as you all know, when we look out this window and we look at the ocean, what do we see? We don't just see the ocean. We see a lot of huge ships out there just sitting there. 
Okay, we have a whole problem with trying to get all the goods that are coming from all around the world and just trying to get them to us right now. So people say, buy gifts early. Well, maybe we should buy gifts early this year with that. But when you think of the gifts you get, now I want you to think about for Christmas or whenever you get gifts, there's a lot of different types of gifts that you might get. All right? So, for example, you might get gifts that you love, all right, and you want to keep. You might get gifts that you want to return and get something else. You might get gifts that you re-gift, okay, to others. I know none of you do that, all right? Um, so you have the different things that we do with those gifts, all right? But there's also different types of gifts, okay? So, for example, the Darnells. Bill over there just recently gave Michelle and I these really beautiful candle holders that he made that are now sitting on our living room table. And I got some candles and put them in, that, in, those, in the, um, those candle holders. When you look at a gift like that, is there anything I need to do to take care of that gift? Especially with how well you made it. There's not. There's very little I have to do to really take care of that gift. <laughs> But there are other gifts where you tend, that you might get, whether it's at Christmas or other times, where you, there are gifts that you have to take care of. You have to give some type of attention to. All right, so for example, Marcia, she was just, after years and years and years of praying, Lord, I need a car, <laughs> okay? And finally, just in the last, last couple months, God gifted her with a car. Someone gave her as a gift a car. Now, if you think, I know, <laughs> amen. <laughs> so now if you think of a car as a gift, that's a little bit different, a little bit different than what Bill gives us with the candle holders. With a car, you have to take care of a car. You can pretend you don't have to, but the car will let you know if you don't, okay? Uh, Marcia, you have to do oil changes, all right? <laughs> you have to take it in. You have to make sure the tires are good. You have to take care of a car, that's one type of gift that you have to be aware of doing every once in a while. Well, there's another type of gift you might get from someone where you have to constantly, every day, be attentive to taking care of it. And that's the type of gift I want to talk about a little bit today. And as an example of that, my wife, um, if you look back there when you walked in, you probably saw some clippings there with a lot of beautiful flowers on it. All right. Well, this is a plant. In fact, if you want to put up that picture, um, Nan, this is what it looks like in our yard before she clipped it, by the way. Um, this is what it looked like just yesterday. I took a picture of it. And it is a, okay, I'm trying to get it, hybrid begonia? Yes, all right. <laughs> so this plant right here is very special to my wife. This plant exists today, what we know of, this plant has been around for well over a hundred years. Now, how can that be? Not because it got seeds and someone planted it. It's been around for 100, over a hundred years because you can take clippings of it and you can start an entire new plant of it. All right? And so, over a hundred years ago, we know at least over a hundred years ago, this plant was sitting in my wife's mom's house in Canada where it freezes because if this plant cannot be outside or it will, it will die in, in cold like that. But over a hundred years ago, this was in her mother's house. And sitting in her mother's house, when they moved then from Alberta, Canada, I think, right, to the city, 
they took that plant with them, all right? And wherever they would travel, they've traveled all around all these countries. And what her mom would always do is make sure if she couldn't take the plant, when they went to, for example, Saudi Arabia, where my wife went because they were in the military, they would take a clipping of the plant. They'd cut it off like what you see back there, and they would put in some water, and then they would finally plant it. And they would take care of it, and it would grow. 35 years ago, my wife's mom gave her a clipping of that plant. And this is what that clipping looks like. Okay, where she's grown it over and over again. She's taking clippings off. We've given it to different people. They have clippings of it. But what's interesting about this plant is it takes a lot of care. It takes daily care. Michelle and I just went on vacation, and the number one thing that she worried about and wanted to make sure was that this plant was taken care of. Why? Because this plant specifically needs morning sun, but not too much sun and not too long. Because if you get afternoon sun, it can die literally within almost a day if it's too hot. It needs to be watered with a lot of water every day. If you don't, it will die. This plant requires a daily type of attention to keep it growing, to keep it producing flowers, to keep it reproducing. That is the type of gift that I want to talk about today that Jesus has given us, that God has given us, a type of gift that we also need to take care of and be attentive to every day. It is the gift that allows us to say, when I hear the word of God, I will do the word of God. That's, again, what we're going to look at today. So where is that gift found? Well, Jesus talks about this gift quite a bit. In fact, this gift is so important to Jesus that it is mentioned in all four Gospels. It is mentioned by the Apostle Paul at the end of Acts. It is a gift that Jesus wants to make sure we know it. In fact, it is strategically placed in every Gospel to say, you need to know this gift, Jesus tells us, for you to be able to understand everything else that I say to you. And so there's many different, in the Gospels, you see it in Mark 4, in Matthew, you see it in Matthew 13, in Luke, you see it in Luke 8, in John, you see it in John, I think it's 12. All right, so you see this gift around over and over again. I want to describe that gift to you, because at this point, I'm hoping you're saying, what is that gift <laughs> that he's given? I want you to keep your Bibles closed. All right, so no cheating, no opening up your phone, all right, because I want you to just listen to what this gift is. And here is how Jesus tells us about this gift. He does it as he does so many things. He tells us it through a parable. And he tells us it through a parable because he wants to really get us to get it, to know what it is. And in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable. It is called the good soil parable. I'm not going to read the first telling of that parable. Basically what it is is Jesus tells a parable, and he just says to his disciples and everyone listening at the time, Hey, you know, a farmer comes along, he takes some seed he wants to plant, he throws the seed out. Some fell on paths where birds came and just ate it up. Some fell on rocky places. Some fell on places where the weeds came up and choked it. But some of the seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 130 or 60 times what was sown. It produced a crop like what Michelle's plant that we saw up there is doing. It kept replicating over and over and over again. 
And the disciples hear this and they go, okay, well, we know that. We're farmers. We understand how that works. What are you talking about, Jesus? And thankfully, the disciples asked him, what do you mean by what you just said? All right. And now I want you, and what Jesus does is he ends the parable by, by saying, hear, all of you who hear, open your ears and listen. That's what I want you to do. I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to just hear and listen to what Jesus says about what this parable means. So he says, Jesus says, hear the parable of the sower. In other words, hear what it means. I'm now going to tell you what it means because I want you to make sure you get it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the carriage of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, in another sixty, in another thirty. Jesus has just described four different types of soil. Four different ways in which what people do is they hear the word and do they obey it. What's interesting is all four of these soils, all four hear. Did you get that? All four of them hear the word spoken. All four of them heard what we've heard through the Sermon on the Mount. But there's only one soil, the last one, only one soil that takes that word and ends up doing it and producing a crop. And the reason why is because of the gift that Jesus has given us, a gift that God has given us. Because that one last soil does something, the other three do not. Did anybody hear what that one word is that makes a difference between hearing and producing the crop? Did anybody hear it? It's interesting. I do this many, many times over years. And this talks about how we need to really be attentive. Really hear what is God saying. Because this is the parable that tells us, don't just hear it, do something else, and you will be the one who produces a crop. You'll be the one that will have the blessings in your life because of all that Christ is doing for you, because you're doing his word. What is that one word? Go ahead, man. Do you guys see it now? Look at the top. Everyone hears it, but what is this one word? It understands it. Understands it. Many of you probably get the fact that a lot of times someone's listening to you and you say to them, what, you're, what I'm telling you is just going in one ear and out the other. Have you heard that phrase? All right. That's someone who's hearing it one ear and out the other, but they don't understand it. What Jesus says is you can't just hear the word. 
you need to understand it. And what's fascinating here is that when you understand it, notice what happens next. Everything else flows from that. It says, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case 100, in one 60, in another 30. You see where I have that word underlined yields there? That word is the same Greek word that Jesus uses in, the, in what I just talked with, um, Jeff went through last week that I just read. When he says, those who hear the word and do it. The word do it is exactly that word yield. So what Jesus is saying to us, I'm giving you this gift. This gift is for you to not just hear my word, but to really understand it. To really get it. And when you do, you know what? You're going, to just, you're going to just do it. And when you do it, you're going to see all the fruit that comes from your life. It's like this plant. My wife just simply takes care of it. She waters it. She doesn't make the flowers come up. She just pays attention to it and takes care of it. And when she does that and does that work every day, it produces all those flowers. Now, here's what's important is what do we mean by the word understand? What does that really mean? And here is the key aspect to know about this word understand. Understand is not just head knowledge. In fact, primarily that's not what Jesus means. It is quoted from Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, because the same problem we have today of doing what we hear is the same problem God's people have had even before Jesus. In Isaiah, it tells us what Jesus quotes right before he tells the parable is that that understanding has to come from the heart. It has to come from in here, not just up here in our head. We have to get it. I don't know if you... Speaking of like relationally, when someone's like talking to you and they're like saying, like our spouse, okay? A spouse will say, yeah, I don't, you don't get what I'm trying to tell you. Okay, but you know when you do get it, you know it. And when someone really gets your heart, you know it. There's something that different that happens. Your heart in Scripture is one of the hardest words to really try to understand. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word heart, we don't have an English word to really try to capture everything the Old Testament and the Bible means by heart. We use the word heart, okay? But here it's not just like our inner feelings. The heart is like the core of our personality. It is what really makes us tick. It is who we are. All right. And here Jesus says, you need to, with that heart in you, fully get and understand what I'm trying to tell you. And when you get it, then you will obey it. What is it we're trying to get when he says understand? Well, if we take a look in Acts 13, I'm going to just turn to Acts 13 here, we get an idea of what we do with this heart in us. What is it designed to do? Why have we been given this? And how is it a gift? In Acts 13, in verse 22, this is what it says. In Acts 13, 22, it says, And when he, God, this is going back to the time of Saul, in the Old Testament, and when he, God, removed him, which was Saul, he replaced him with who? King David. Why did he replace him with King David? He raised up King David to be their king for whom he testified and said, I have found in David 
the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. Have you ever thought about it? Why do we have a heart? Not just our physical heart. Why do we have this heart that really helps us to get what someone else says? To get what God says? We have this heart because God has a heart. God has this heart. We are created in his image. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but God is not just some, you know, up there who, oh, we're just supposed to obey and do what he says. God has a heart, all right? Because, and he gave us the gift of that heart. So guess what? What are we supposed to use our heart for that's inside of us? There's this deep part of us that we all know. It's designed to be there to share, to express, to be able to connect to another person's heart, to be able to connect to God's heart. And that is what, that's what God, that's what Jesus is saying here, is that when he says something, he wants you to not just know it by reading it, by hearing it, he wants you to really get what his heart is. What is he really trying to say? And just like with another person, when you know you've hurt another person, when you really get that, you know what? You don't hurt them anymore. All right. Um, Jeff used the illustration last week of Ted Lasso. Um, which we had just watched too. And it is a scene in that, for those of you who've seen it, it's a scene in there where you see how two people connect their heart. Where you see Ted Lasso is reading this letter from someone he obviously has feelings for, who obviously has feelings for him. And he's all like, almost like wanting to read it intellectually, like, oh, what does it say, okay? And then all of a sudden he starts reading it and you can see his entire personality is entire seen through his body everything changes as Jeff said last week he reads this letter from this woman this therapist who has feelings for him too and he reads this letter and all of a sudden it just gives me goosebumps right now you his heart now understands her his her heart and you'll see him look up and look at her and all of a sudden you know he gets it he gets the heart of this other woman this is what God wants from us. He wants us to get his heart. This is why he's given us this word of God. Because he wants us to know his heart. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but when you read this Bible, why are you reading it? You're reading it not just to get a bunch of knowledge about God. You're not even just reading it to just hear it so you can obey it. You're reading it because he is revealing the heart of God himself through this word. That is what's so unique about this Bible. So I want to just quickly go through, giving you some practical ways of how do you do this? How do you connect with someone's heart? And guess what? God has already given us something that tells us how to do that. <laughs> All right? Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I want to take a look at them. I'm just going to go through this somewhat quickly. But I want you to give an idea. This is how we get our heart focused not on ourselves, but how we focus our heart on someone else. All right. So as we're going through and taking a look at this, I just want to walk through these different passages here and, and have you see what it's saying here. So very quickly, this is a, just the, these first five verses is really telling us how do we really understand God with our heart? How do we connect to his heart? And what it says is, notice the first word, if, all right? It's like, 
If you do these things, then you will understand God's heart, and then you will do them. It's a conditional statement. So it's not something where, like Michelle with her plant, it's not something where she can say, oh, I hope my plant does really good today, and she just you know, feels good in her heart that her plant's going to do really good today, and she doesn't water it, and she lets the afternoon sun come into it, and then it dies, all right? This is something we have to actively be involved in to be connected to God's heart so we, he, we do what he says. So if, all right, that just this first, this first um, phrase, if, my son, if you receive my words, if you, this is directed to each single person here. Guess what? Understanding God's heart is not something someone can do for you. I can't say to my sister back there, well, tell me what God's heart is, all right? She might connect to God's heart, but guess what? Each of us is responsible for that. Each of us personally has to do that. No one can do it for you. I can't be up here doing it for you. Jeff can't do it for you. People you listen to on YouTube, they can't do it for you. You have to yourself encounter God through his word and understand his heart for yourself. And then it says, receive my words. Receive really means here the word like accept. It's like a personal commitment. It's like you're going to walk out of here today. My hope and prayer is that we all decide every day to understand God's heart. All right? You have to make a commitment. Before you do it, you've got to make the commitment. I'm going to do it. And that's really what it says there. And then it says, what do we make that commitment to do? We make that commitment to be Listening and hearing my words. What is my words? This is my words. A commitment to hear his words spoken to us through this Bible. All right? So that's the first thing. It just sort of sets up our mind. We've got to say, okay, I'm going to go and really understand God from his heart. Then it says, and treasure up my commandments within you. Again, think about with Michelle, how much she treasures that plant. Because her mom gave it to her. Her mom got it from someone else probably. And she treasures it. It's so valuable. It's valuable, more valuable than gold to make sure she keeps this plant alive. That's the treasury we want to do of God and his word in our hearts. Then it says, making your ear attentive, verse 2, making your ear attentive to wisdom. So here's where we actually say, I need to pay attention. All of you know when you're listening to someone whether someone's paying attention to you. I can look out there right now and go, okay, is everyone you paying attention to me? All right? You know when someone's paying attention to you. What God says about his own word is he says in Hebrews 2.1, he says, pay much more closer attention to what I've said. Pay much more closer attention to what I've said. Nowhere else does he say that in all of scripture. He says, you've got to pay attention You've got to put your focus. You've got to say, I want to get God's heart, which means you have to be attentive to it. You can't be like, okay, I'm reading this and I'm watching TV and I'm listening to some of the phone. I'm watching social media. Oh, I'll come back to this. I mean, it's attention. Okay, it's like driving down the highway. If you don't pay attention to where you're driving, you ride, when you drive down PCH, you're going to hit someone. <laughs> okay? You've got to be attentive. Pay closer attention. And then it says, incline your heart to understanding. Here you get this idea that now we're not just paying attention, but we're using our entire heart, our entire self, our entire personality, and we're saying, it's like 
me listening to Patty, and she's talking to me, and I'm paying attention to her, but all of a sudden I'm inclining and say, I want to really get at what she's trying to say to me. And so, you know, you can see that in someone's eyes. You can see that with their attention. If I just look and I'm going, now I'm really not just paying attention to you. I want to know what's going inside her heart. All right. That's the type of inclining we need to do as we read God's word here, is what is God really trying to say to me? And then in verse 3, it, it just amplifies this. It just says, yes, if you call out for insight, same word really for understanding here, if you raise your voice for understanding, it's like you're using your entire being to say, I want to get God's heart. I want to know what he's saying to me. And then in verse 4, and I love this, it says, if you seek it like silver and search for it, and search for it as hidden treasure. You know, Psalm 119.10 says, With your whole heart I seek you. Here's a problem I've heard over and over again when I've asked Christians, why are you not staying in your Bible? Why are you not really reading it? And so often what I hear is that they just sort of give up. It's like I'm reading it, I don't understand it, it's not making sense to me, and I do that over and over again, and I'm just, I, I just put it away and I never opened it up again or I rarely opened it up All right. when you seek something you have to do that where you say I'm not going to give up I am going to stay at this until I understand what God is trying to tell me through his heart and when you do that and you put your whole self in there and read this word this way when you do that God is going to give you the gift to understand his heart. And that's what it says here. It says in verse 5, Then, when you do all that, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. The word fear of the Lord there is really a sentence you see in Scripture a lot. Fear is not the same word as fear we use about fear of what's going on in the world right now. Fear of the Lord is like this compound sentence. It's like the word butterfly. If I try to say, what does butterfly mean? Let's understand butter and let's understand fly. That's not going to really help me understand butterfly, <laughs> okay? The fear of the Lord is really the heart of God. It's really knowing the full character of who this God is who died on the cross for us, who this God is who created us, who this God is who loves us. That is what it means when we say, now when you've done that work and you've put this attention to me and you've sought me with your whole heart, I'm now going to show you my heart, God says. And then he says, and this is the last part, is when you understand his heart, what do we get? We find the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God here in scripture actually means a personal relationship with the living God. It means now you have gotten God, not that you just got what he said, not just that you understood him, but you now get his very presence and you experience the living God with you, that living a God who lives in us. That's the personal relationship that we have with God. This is what we do. This is our attention. This is why we hear, but we don't do, because we need to seek God's heart. And we seek that God, that heart through, the, through we seek his heart through this word here. And just in closing, I just want to give you some quick things. I just I'll spend two minutes on this. You guys can look on the app. It'll be on the website. Um, but here's a quick start guide. If you say, well, how do I start with this? How do I just start doing this? Okay. 
some very quick things, all right? Number one, I say get a clue. It's like finding a hidden treasure, all right? The first thing is you need to have something to start working with. And you might have a Bible reading plan. You might have something that's giving you some verses during the week. I'd say whatever you're listening to, whenever someone quotes a verse to you and they're trying to tell you how to understand or they're telling you what they believe about Whenever you hear a verse quoted, you're listening to something on YouTube, you're listening to someone speak, you're reading a devotional, grab that verse and say, okay, I want to really understand that verse. Because you know what? So many times you're on Facebook and you look at someone put up a little verse of the Bible and you go, do you ever really stop and say, what does that really even mean? Where is God's heart on that? What is it? We, we just assume we just, just go past it. Grab that verse and the next thing is go and open your Bible and go, all right, where's that verse? And then read the whole chapter around that verse. You will be surprised how many times people um, throw out verses, all right, to you, those sound bites of these verses, and you go and you look it up and you go, oh my gosh, I never knew it said that. (laughs) I never knew that's what God was really talking about. I've seen it a thousand times, all right? You start, you're starting to seek God's heart with that. Get help, all right? We all do this together. We do this best in community. Use Bible studies, use commentaries to help you understand what is being said within these passages. It's hard sometimes because it was written 3,000, 2,000 years ago. And then um, you just keep seeking it until and reading it over and over again. Read Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 we looked at until you feel like, oh my gosh, I get it. I get what God's trying to tell me. I get what God's telling me about himself. I get what God's telling me about this crazy world we live in. Like, I don't need to fear it. I only need to fear and trust God. And you know, and when you do that, go share it with someone. (laughs) You know, go tell them, wow, you know what I just learned about God's heart today? And you tell them what you've learned about that. This is our life as a Christian. This is who we are as a people. We've been given the gift of God's heart and given the gift to understand it. And as we close, okay, what I like to do is just, I want to read just one passage to you as in our closing um, to remind us of this and what's so unique about this word of God. And as I read it, I want all of you to just, in your heart, I want you to just, not just hear this, but go, where's my relationship with the Lord? Do I know this Jesus? Do I know this Christ? Have I made that commitment? Do I need to recommit my life to him? All right, Because he's given us this gift of his heart that we can learn through the word. And this is what 2 Peter 1, 16-21 says. This says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses, the people who wrote this were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, that's Jesus, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from the heaven, for we were with him on the mountain, holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word, that is this word, more fully confirmed, to which we will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by someone's interpretation. All of this 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, which has given us his word so we can understand his heart and do that today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. We thank you, first of all, for just you, for creating us, for giving us your heart, Lord, for giving us your word and your spirit that we can know who you are really know you personally. And Father, I pray there's anybody here right now that does not know you, that they just simply say, Lord, I place my faith in you today. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are the one that can give me a new heart so I can seek your heart. Lord, be with us today. Help us to be a people spending our days and our hours seeking to not just hear you, but seeking to understand your heart, knowing that then you will bring that fruit into our lives. We do this all in the name of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.